I first heard about the Make Him Known vision and giving initiative, I honestly didn't really know what to think. I had never been a part of a church that had reemphasized their vision, and I had certainly never been a part of a church that had gone through building a new building. So all of this was very new to me, and I wasn't really sure how I felt about it. But as time went on, and as the giving initiative and the vision for our church began to grow and become more tangible, um, I started to really see the potential that this could have, and that was through uh, hiring new people on staff, seeing new ministries started, and then obviously we built a bigger building. I chose to give financially for this because, first of all, I believe that there's no better investment than investing in the kingdom of God. But also, I think I'm naturally a person who wants to help when there's a need. And so when I saw that we had a lot of big needs, I was more than willing and ready to give financially for that. During this giving time, I've seen the Lord be really faithful. Um, I, like a lot of other folks in December 2021, prayed about the amount of money to give towards uh, this giving initiative. And I wrote down the number that God gave me and I made that pledge and I started to give. Um, and then over that first year of our Make Him Known Giving Initiative, uh, I got promotions, I had side projects, I was given a lot of extra resources that I didn't have before. And so every time something like that would happen, I would feel the Lord telling me like I needed to give towards um, my giving initiative. So I kind of threw everything I had at it. And then throughout that time, I was able to give um, my two-year commitment in one year, which was really cool. But also uh, that shows God's providence because about a year and a half into the giving initiative, after I had already given my two-year commitment and it was continuing to give, uh, I lost my job, I was laid off. And so I was just grateful that the Lord knew and provided uh, the pledge that he told me to give. I'm excited for the future of UBC just in the small amount of uh, time that I've seen us grow exponentially, um, whether that's through groups ministry or local and global missions or mercy ministry. There's just been a lot of opportunity to both care for people and also equip people. So I'm excited to see uh, all the different people that God continues to use here and to bring here to use their gifts to advance the kingdom of God, but also uh, to be cared for and to know Christ and make him known. You know, I so much uh, appreciate John sharing his heart um, in that video because uh, I remember talking with him, you know, months ago about how the Lord was working in him to really uh, guide him through that time where his, you know, job transition occurred. And, you know, if you've been through a time where you've lost a job and you've had to trust God through that, then you know what that's like. But to see John uh, really talk about God's providence and God's provision through all that was just a joy. And I'm glad that I got to hear his heart months ago. I'm glad that you got to hear a little bit of his heart today. If you're joining us today for the first time, uh, first of all, I just want to say welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, you are joining us at the tail end of a two-year um, initiative that we have tackled as a church called Make Him Known. And during this two-year campaign, we have started to do several things. We've re-emphasized the disciple-making mission of our church. We have asked the church to really step in and uh, connect to uh, other people, to our world, um, to make Jesus known here among people in our church, to make him known near to people in our community that are not yet connected to our church, and then to make him known everywhere uh, where people need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's been great to see people in our church start to connect and serve and pray and to financially give uh, like never before. And so you are joining us today at the tail end of this campaign. 
And to kind of bring this all to a conclusion, we are working our way through a series uh, called Mercy. And in this series, we are going to be focused on making Jesus known mercifully uh, to the people around us. What we mean by that is that we want to be people who show compassion, the compassion of Jesus, the, the care that acts, right? The, the, the feeling that we have inside of us that cares so deeply that we have to take action. Um, we want to be people who show that type of mercy to specific types of vulnerable people in the world around us. And so each week we're going to be focused on a different type of people that um, we as a church are called to show mercy to. And each week in this series we are highlighting a missionary, um, a missions organization or a Christian organization that is really focused on doing exactly what the topic is for the day. And so, you know, at the end of this series, what we're going to be asking from you guys is two things. When, when we wrap up this series at the end of the month, I'm going to ask everybody in this room to consider, first of all, how is the Lord calling you to be involved in mercy ministry, right? Because each of us are called to do that and to be involved in it. And the second question I'll be asking you is, would you prayerfully consider uh, making a generous contribution to help us finish strong on our Make Him Known initiative. Our Finish Strong Sunday is coming up on December the 3rd. Um, and every, you know, every year for the past, not, not every year, but for the past two years, we've done these kind of big give Sundays towards the Make Him Known initiative. And this is our Sunday where we're saying, let's finish this campaign strong. If you remember last Sunday, I announced that we... Um, had $5.1 million committed to this initiative from the church. Earlier this summer, uh, by God's grace, we, ex we exceeded that $5.1 million commitment through your giving, and we praise the Lord for that. And so now what that means is we're in a really strong financial situation as a church where we can come into the end of this campaign and be able to kind of have a special way to use your contributions at the end of the campaign. We said last week that for every dollar that comes in that week on the Finish Strong Sunday, that we are going to give 75 cents of that dollar to pay down our mortgage for our new facility here, and we're going to give 25 cents of that dollar to be put into a pot that is equally distributed among all the missions organizations and the mercy ministry organizations that we are highlighting during this sermon series. So I just want to ask you to be in prayer about that. I want to ask you as a church, so let's finish strong and let's uh, prayerfully consider how the Lord wants us to be part of making him known mercifully in this world as we come to a conclusion of our Make Him Known initiative. Um, this is week two of our series called Mercy. Last week, we emphasized our call to show mercy to the pre-born, and let me just remind you that uh, Tuesday is voting day, so go out and vote, and if you need a little nudge to do that, this is a girl from our church who, instead of uh, dressing up as, you know, like a Disney princess or Taylor Swift or something for Halloween, this was her Halloween costume, right? Isn't that awesome? I, like, I look at that, and I'm like, this is a young girl who's like, you know, going for it. I love that right there. So look, all right, if you need a little nudge, if you need a little encouragement, take it from her, right? Vote no on Tuesday for issue one. I thought that was pretty cool. Make sure that you set the time on your calendar, your workday, to do that this coming Tuesday. Last week, we focused on showing mercy to the preborn. This week, I want to talk to you about showing mercy to the persecuted. That's going to be our focus today, showing mercy to the persecuted. Um, before we jump in too far, I just want to make sure that I've defined my terms well and that we're all on the same page about what I mean. When we're talking about the persecuted today, we are talking specifically about people who suffer because of their faith in Jesus Christ and their witness for him. In other words, 
I'm not equating the persecuted with people who experience oppression in general around the world for issues like, you know, slavery and bigotry and abuse and those kinds of things. That's not what we're talking about today as important as those issues are. We're also not talking about today people who just kind of go through difficult circumstances in general. And we're definitely not talking today about Christians who are basically jerks and uh, suffer their own hardships because they're mean, okay? We're not talking about that. Um, When we talk about the persecuted today, we're talking about believers in Jesus Christ who are specifically suffering because of their faith in Christ and their witness for him. So that's what I mean by persecuted. Today is actually the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. So we are joining loads of churches around the world in remembering the persecuted church and praying for them today. And so how we're going to work through our service today is, is like this. Uh, I'm going to work through this message, and really all the messages in this series are going to be approached um, in really three parts. We're going to talk today about why this issue matters. We're going to talk about what the scripture has to say about it. And we're going to talk about how we can respond. And after we go through those three sections, then we're going to highlight our ministry organization for the week, which, by the way, is an organization called Global Christian Relief. You're going to be hearing more about them at the end of the service today. But after we hear from them, we will spend some time praying for the persecuted around the world and for organizations like Global Christian Relief that are serving them. So all that being said, let's jump into today's message. I want to talk to you today about, first of all, why this issue matters, all right? Why this issue matters. You know, um, there are many reasons why the topic of the persecuted matters, but I just want to kind of summarize them into two points, all right? The first reason why this matters is because there is massive Christian persecution internationally. There is massive persecution internationally, Since 1993, an organization called Open Doors USA has been tracking Christian persecution around the world. Their mission is to ensure that persecuted Christians do not suffer alone, but are connected to the worldwide church for support and encouragement. Each year, they end up publishing a report called the World Watch List Report. And in that report, they rank countries with really the highest number of Christians experiencing various levels of persecution. And so today I want to just share with you a little bit of information coming from the 2023 World Watch List report. First thing I want you to understand today is this. There are over 360 million Christians uh, in this last report that were verified as receiving some sort of persecution. Um, What this means is 360 million Christians, including... um, receiving persecution that includes things like physical harm done to them, also any sort of personal discrimination done to them. And these numbers are only the numbers that can be verified, right? So just imagine how much more there would be uh, if we were able to count the unverified ones. World Watch List Report also tells us that Christian persecution has been confirmed in 76 different countries around the world. In these countries, persecution occurs by governments and citizens, sometimes both, towards people because of their belief in Jesus Christ. Interestingly, that number, 76 countries, has nearly doubled since 1993. In 1993, there were only 40 countries that were able to be verified uh, giving high amounts of persecution to Christians. One thing that 
um, Open Doors does each year in this World Watch List report is they publish a map that kind of shows you where persecution is happening around the world. You can see on this map that they kind of categorize it and color code it by three different levels. Kind of the lighter color there means there's high levels of persecution. The medium color um, really has to do with very high levels of persecution. And then the darkest color has uh, extreme levels of persecution. In years past, you've been able to look at this map and you've been able to see all three different colors. This year, we only have two colors on the map. And that's because all 76 of the countries this year, the types of persecution that's going on, they qualify as either very high or extreme levels of persecution towards Christians. So there's been an uptick in the severity of persecution against Christians around the world. In these 76 countries that are on the map, 50 of them have documented very high persecution. Very high levels of persecution include things like the murder of Christians, as well as other atrocities, things like imprisonment, torture, rape, expulsion, forced labor, those types of things. Um, North Korea, as you can see on the top right side of the map there, ranks as the most dangerous country in the world for Christians. North Korea has been ranked number one in the past. Interestingly, last year, um, the report showed uh, Afghanistan being ranked number one. This year, Afghanistan actually dropped to number nine on the world watch list report. So you might hear that and you might think, okay, good, Afghanistan's a little more safe than it used to be. Here's the reason why. It's not more safe. It's because so many Christians either fled Afghanistan last year or they died in the instances uh, of violence that there just weren't as many reported instances in Afghanistan because so many Christians were no longer there, right? So they've dropped to number nine. North Korea is number one. On a scale of 0 to 100, North Korea scores 98 on the persecution and danger chart. Um, this is the highest level that they've ever scored since Open Doors has been tracking this. And this is mainly due to a new law that they put out this year in North Korea. It's called the Anti-Reactionary Thought Law. And that law formally criminalized people with any published materials from foreign countries, including Bibles. Right, so this led to a major increase in the arrest of Christians, as well as a discovery and uh, closure of countless secret house churches that were all kind of penalized under this new law. Another fact from this report is that 2,110 churches were attacked. Again, these are the churches that you hear their stories uh, on the news. You maybe see uh, the pictures, um, but these are families of believers like ours who have been meeting together in a particular place, and people come in, and they do all sorts of things. They kill people. They harm people meeting there. They kidnap people there, you know, and then sometimes they, they destroy, or they ransack, or they burn down the houses of worship around the world. These are going on across the world. 5,621 Christians were verified as being murdered this past year. 5,621. I mean, that number has nearly doubled since their 2018 report. And if you go all the way back 10 years to 2013, there were 2,160 Christians killed for their faith in that report. So the point is that over the past 10 years, the verified number of murdered Christians has nearly tripled in the past 10 years. All right, and again, this only includes the numbers that can be documented. Imagine how much more this might be for the stories that go undocumented. The highest number of Christians being murdered over this past year 
has occurred in the country of Nigeria. The World Watch report shows that 90% of the Christians murdered this year were killed in Nigeria. Persecution has become very severe in, the, uh, in Africa, especially in the northern regions of Africa. Organizations like Boko Haram, ISWAP, Fulani militants, others that are there are really engaging in violence toward Christians and even against Muslims who are not sympathetic with their causes. So this violent jihadism is spreading across many parts of northern Africa with all the, you know, attached ways of harming people that we hear about. Murders, rape, kidnappings, intimidation. It's starting to happen more and more in countries like the Republic of Congo, uh, Niger, Central African Republic, Mozambique, Mali, I mean, different places. So what this equates to is that over 5,600 Christians, mostly in Northern Africa, have been killed for their faith in the past year. This means, I want you to hear this from me, this means that Christians have become the most persecuted people group in the world. Okay? Now, that may not even seem possible to us. That may seem so unrealistic to us. Why is that? It's because we live in America, right? We live in a place in a, where we can come together like this every Sunday and gather freely and worship under you know, rights and laws that our country gives to us. We, we gather with our friends and we drive in and we have parking spots and we have new buildings with nice soft chairs that we can meet in. You know, and this is all like basically uh, these comforts in which we experience like in other parts of the world, what we have is like a dream to them, right? They wish that they could do this. They have to gather in hidden places because of the constant threat of government spying and, Christ and persecution for their faith. So if you're anything like me, this can be kind of hard to imagine around the world. These facts, the reality of this type of persecution can be hard to imagine occurring around the world until it starts to hit home on a more local level. So this leads to the second reason why this issue matters. It's not just because there's massive persecution internationally. It's also because there's increasing persecution domestically. Increasing persecution domestically. So let me talk about United States here for a minute. Uh, which, let me preface it all by saying, you know, the United States is still one of the safest, if not the safest place in the world to be a Christian. Right? We have it so easy, comparatively speaking, to the rest of the world. But we ought not ignore the fact that hostility against Christians is on the rise, that we, we no longer live in a Christian culture in America. We don't even live in really a, a post-Christian culture in America. We are starting to experience the anti-Christian culture in America in many ways. And so let me give you some examples from recent years in the United States. In 2016, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services initiated a rule change that proposed and successfully changed the traditional definition of sex discrimination within what is known as Section 1557 of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, it included rules regarding, you know, things like pregnancy and gender identity, and it meant that healthcare professionals who refused to refer for or perform an abortion, or they refused to prescribe puberty blockers or conduct conduct sex change surgeries, that they could be accused and found guilty of sex discrimination and all the penalties that are associated with it. 
That was going on in 2016. It was battled in the court system for six years until Christian organizations kind of banded together and got legal representation. And finally, the Supreme Court you know, ruled in favor of Christian healthcare workers in the United States. My point in bringing it up is, yes, there was a good ruling in the end, but look at all the work it took to get there because organizations and entities are really starting to strive and fight against um, those who are trying to live out their Christian faith. In recent years, um, we've seen cases about employees and business owners who have had workplace, you know, related uh, issues arise. So we've all heard the story of like the football coach who wanted to pray and uh, the baker, you know, the guy who didn't want to bake the cake for a same-sex wedding. But there are more of those arising. Some of those are like a lady named Lori Smith who runs a web design firm. She refused to make websites that sent affirming messages regarding same-sex marriage. She was sued in 2016. In 2018, there's a man named Gerald Goff, uh, Groff, who was forced to either resign or be terminated from his job at the U.S. Postal Service. Why? Because he refused his employer's mandate for him to start working on the Sabbath. Right? And he, that went against his religious convictions. So both of these people started to kind of appeal and fight the rulings, and there was all these legal battles. And again, the U.S. Supreme Court ended up ruling in their favor for both of these individuals, but it continues to send the anti-Christian message that for years, the lower courts and the employing organizations and, and people who were against uh, the Christian value system um, fought and appealed that message for, for years in a row. Maybe you'll remember this one. In 2021, 17 members of a ministry called Christian Aid Ministries, which is based right here out of Columbus, Ohio, 17 members from that ministry were taken hostage in Haiti by the 400 Mazao gang. That group of Christian Aid workers included a married couple with a 10-month-old baby, a three-year-old child, a 14 and 15-year-old a boy and girl. They were held captive in Haiti until they actually decided to make this daring, kind of brave escape by night, you know, under the, under the light of the stars and ran for their lives, essentially. They eventually made it somewhere. People helped them call the Coast Guard and there were phone calls made and they eventually made it back home. But like it starts to hit home when we're talking about people from Ohio. Even this year, some of you in your places of employment have been faced with workplace regulations, requirements, policies that are almost forcing you to go against your Christian beliefs, mandated diversity, equity, and inclusion training, pronoun policies, things like that, that you can't in good conscience, according to your religious beliefs, comply with. And so your employment becomes at risk or sometimes directly threatened due to these types of things. I think we all need to be aware that there is increasing Christian persecution domestically, and there are massive amounts of Christian persecution internationally. That's why this issue matters. So let's talk now about what the Bible has to say about it. Guys, there are, uh, again, a handful of scripture passages that really go into this. Today, I just wanted to choose one. I actually just want to choose one verse to focus on. So if you have your Bible today, I want to invite you to open it up to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 is where we're going to be today. One verse. I really just want to draw out two points from this verse. In this verse, the big idea in this verse is that God calls the church to remember those who are imprisoned and persecuted and mistreated for their faith. And so 
the two points I want to share with you today are these, that God wants us to remember the persecuted as if we were physically with them, and also because we are physically like them, right? So those are our two points. Let me just talk about them one at a time. First of all, God wants us to remember the persecuted as if we were physically with them. Hebrews 13.3, the scripture tells us to remember those who are in prison. This is talking about people who have been imprisoned because of their Christian faith. Remember them as though in prison with them. For most of us, this is really hard to do. It's hard for most of us to envision being in prison alongside somebody else because most of us have never been to prison. Most of us have never had to visit anybody in prison. Most of us have never had to stay with anybody in prison, let alone somebody who's been in prison for their Christian faith, right? So it can be challenging to care for the persecuted and the hurting when we literally are not physically present with them and we haven't been physically present with them. My brother Phil and I grew up in Flint, Michigan, little story about when we grew up in uh, our home in Flint, Michigan. One day I was out for a drive or something with my dad. I think I was a teenager. Phil might have been upper elementary age, something like that. My dad and I are out going for a drive. We come back in. I remember my dad driving the car, and we can see down the street. We can see our driveway from our house, and we look uh, on our driveway, and my brother Phil is just laying there on the driveway. We get closer, and we can see that he's hurt. He's crying. He's got uh, cuts and scrapes and um, bleeding. He's, you know, he, something has happened there. We start to ask him what's going on, and we're picking him up and helping him, and come to find out what ended up happening was there was a group of boys from our neighborhood who rode by on their bikes, took their bike chains and other things, and they basically beat Phil with their bike chains and with their fists, and all of that happened because days before, some kids in our neighborhood had yelled racial slurs at these boys, and then they kind of got together and came back, and they thought my brother was a part of that, so they beat Phil up. I cared very deeply about that because he's my brother, and I saw what happened to him. I was physically close to him, right? I remember his laying on the ground and his bruises and his tears and him talking about this in our living room and in our driveway. We care about persecution when we are physically close to it and it happens to the people in our family. So when we hear the stories about the persecuted church, I think we all readily agree, like these are our family, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We get that, but we can be so detached from the physical presence of it that it can be hard for us. So what does the Lord tell us to do? He says, remember them as though in prison with them. So we have to sit in this sometimes. We have to not just glance past the news stories, not just kind of... uh, acknowledge the fact that persecution happens out there somewhere, but we need to take the time to read and reflect and imagine what it would be like if it was us, right? What if it was our church that got invaded by Boko Haram? What if it was us? What if it was me or one of our other pastors that was killed by one of these terrorist organizations that wanted to come in and shut down a church? What if it was your mom or dad? Parents, what if it was your son or daughter that ended up being kidnapped by one of these organizations? What if it was your growth group member or somebody that you serve with as a ministry partner in our church that ended up being imprisoned for their jail, uh, for their faith, and you had to go sit beside them in a North Korean prison camp? What would that be like? God wants us to remember the persecuted as if we were physically with them. But our text also shows us that God wants us to remember the persecuted. Here's the second point. Because we are physically like them. Because we are physically like them. 
Again, Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Now, I don't want you to be confused about what that means. The, the writer of Hebrews, when he says in the body, he's not referring to a metaphorical body of Christ. It's not a reference to kind of your, you, know, you all being in the church together. He's saying, remember them because they actually have a physical human body like you do. He's saying when you see people mistreated, you need to remember they have flesh and blood like you. They have a body like you, one that hurts when it gets hit, one that shivers when it gets cold, one that aches when it gets hungry, one that cries when it's sad, and one that, ble- that bleeds when it's cut, right? The American church, we can tend to struggle with this because none of us have really ever had to physically suffer for our faith. We don't really experience this type of persecution, right? We have laws against it. We have police to protect against it. We have First responders to come and help us through it if it were to ever occur. At this point, we don't really know what real physical persecution is. And because of that, I'm concerned that for the most part, the Christian culture doesn't care too deeply about this topic. And I'll just readily raise my hand and say, you know what? I, I'm right there with everybody. Like this, this has been a growth process for me to even be concerned and take care and have sympathy and empathy in my heart toward people who are going through these things. It's been a process for me to get um, more in tune with the Lord's heart on this. So the way the Lord has worked in kind of the years of my life, you know, I, I reflect on this and I'm like, how has the Lord worked to raise my concern for the persecuted church? I think it started when I was maybe in middle school I remember my youth pastor reading stories to our youth group out of an old book called The Fox's Book of Martyrs. And in those stories, it talked about how people throughout church history have suffered for their faith. That made an impact on me when I was young. Around the year 2000, when I'm in my 20s, I backpack through Europe. I end up going to Rome. And in Rome, I go to the Roman Colosseum and I start to really think on what happened to Christians in the Roman Colosseum. I remember getting out my Bible while in the Roman Colosseum and reading this passage from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 36 through 38, where the writer of Hebrews talks about the persecuted church, and he says, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Right? So that made an impact on me, being in the Roman Colosseum reading those words. In 2007, I read the book called Safely Home by Randy Alcorn, a Christian fiction book that has to do with... um, you know, learning to kind of reflect on the realities of the persecuted church. In 2011, some of my friends who moved to this area as refugees from Iraq met with me weeping and in tears because their elderly grandparents had just been murdered in their home in Iraq specifically because of their Christian faith. These were friends of mine whose grandparents were killed. In 2014, 
was the first time and the only time I watched a video of two Christian pastors being beheaded in the Middle East. They were mocked and laughed at by their killers. I'm not suggesting that any of you should go and do that. I haven't watched anything like that since, but it shook me up. And it opened my eyes to the reality of what other pastors around the world are experiencing. 2016-ish, somewhere around there, I started subscribing to various newsletters and things that um, kept the stories of the persecuted church in front of me through electronic communication. 2018, I had a friend, a close friend of mine, move to northern Iraq to be a church planting missionary with his wife and their young son. Right during that time was when ISIS was really on the uprise and lots of trouble going on uh, right near their home there in northern Iraq. And so we would talk and text on the phone and all these things used to just make the reality of the persecuted church um, more of a kind of a vivid reality in my mind. Maybe the Lord wants to awaken you too. Right? The Lord over time has awakened me, still is awakening me to this reality. Maybe he wants to awaken you too to the reality of Christian persecution because the Bible teaches that we should expect that persecution will come. Right? We, this, is, this is clearly taught in Scripture. 1 Peter 4.12 says, Brothers, do not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Like in America, we feel like it's strange when you know, they don't let us pray in schools or they get on our kids for starting Christian organizations on their campuses or our workplace employers want to like let us go because of our Christian faith. Like we think that's strange. The Bible says, no, you need to expect that when that comes your way. Second Timothy 3.12 says, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Jesus Christ will be persecuted. Right? So we, we need to be less surprised when it happens. We need to be more surprised when it's not happening and thankful for the grace of God to live in a country where it happens very rarely because the scripture tells us that persecution will come to us just like it has already come upon many believers around the world. So we need to remember them. And we need to remember them as if we were physically present with them and remember them because we are physically like them in our bodies. That's what the scripture says about it. So we've talked about why this matters. We've talked about what the scripture says about it. Let's talk now about how we can respond. How we can respond. Hebrews 13.3 tells us to remember those who are imprisoned, to remember those who are mistreated. That word remember is not kind of just some uh, passive voice word where it's kind of like, well, if it comes up, you know, then you just kind of, oh yeah, remember that that's a reality. You know, it's not just kind of respond to it when it occurs to you that that's a thing. Remember means take an active part, like do your part in remembering. Be intent on remembering. So how can we do this? I just want to share a few things with you today, practical ways that we can start to respond and remember the persecuted church. The first one is, I hope that you make the choice to care. I hope that you will make the choice today, if you've never done so before, to care about this. Some of us need to get honest with God and say, you know what? Uh, I, I have never really paid attention to this issue. It's not really been important to me. There's no hiding that from the Lord. He already knows your heart. Maybe the person you need to get honest with is yourself. And I'm not here today to even heap guilt upon all of you for that because 
I'm raising my hand saying, I'm like you. Like, it's been a process for me to gradually come along and take small steps along the way to care. But church family, like, the persecuted believers around the world, they are our family, right? These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. They are sharing in the sufferings of Christ. The scripture says they are not worthy of this world, and they have a crown of glory awaiting for them. May the Lord open our hearts wide open to them today. Second response I want to encourage you to take today. Educate yourself. Educate yourself. There are many organizations that are dedicated to getting the word out regarding the persecuted church. I just want to give you a few that I pay attention to. If you want to write these down, that's good. Or if you just want to come back and listen to this later, you know, uh, they're not going to be on the screen. Um, but one organization, maybe you've heard of them, they're called Voice of the Martyrs. Voice of the Martyrs, at least what helps me is that I subscribe to their email newsletter. And about once every three weeks or so, they send us an email that presents a verified situation around the world where Christians are literally suffering for their faith. Voice of the Martyrs is helpful there. An organization called the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission, really helps with this as well. The ERLC is an entity from the Southern Baptist Convention whose job is really to take scriptural principles and expose how they apply to social and cultural issues in our country and around the world. And the ERLC, part of what they do is they advocate for religious freedom. And so they have a great website, a good helpful podcast, again, a newsletter that you can subscribe to to keep this issue in front of you. Another thing that gets published each year that you may want to look into is the United States Commission on International Religious Freedom. Right? This is an organization, this is a group set aside by our government whose job is to pay attention and report on and advocate for religious freedom around the world. So each year they put out a report and they say, hey, religious freedom is doing well and growing and thriving here and over here in other parts of the world, it's not doing well, it's, you know, it's coming against, it's deteriorating, right? And they, they report on this and it's, it's helpful to read that each year. Probably the most helpful organization for me personally is an organization called Open Doors USA. They have a, a subgroup that's called Global Christian Relief, which again, we're going to talk about in just a moment. But Open Doors USA publishes something each year called the World Watch List Report. I mentioned that earlier in the sermon. And what we're going to do is we can put up a little QR code on the screen right now, actually. If you scan this QR code, what that will do is it'll take you to the 2023 World Watch List Report. I encourage you to do it. If you are inclined to take some time and read this 15-page report, this link will take you straight to that report. And it is incredibly eye-opening for you to read about what's going on in each of the, I'll say, the hostile countries around the world to see what persecution looks like, maybe to pray for missionaries that you know that are there or nearby. It's helpful to us to be able to have our eyes open to the reality of the statistics and the numbers of um, you know, situations that reflect the reality of Christian persecution around the world. Again, if you don't QR code it, maybe you just do a Google search later on the 2023 World Watch List report. But I encourage you to educate yourself on this topic. Next up, next thing that we can do in response is we can begin to pray. We can begin to pray. Church family, we, 
We need to pray for the persecuted. Right? The scripture calls us to do that. Remember we just went through the book of Acts, like when Peter was in prison, we read this in Acts chapter 4, where the church gathered, they prayed for him, right? And so we see that example described in scripture. We also see the prescriptions of scripture, where in Colossians 4, Paul says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Pray that the Lord would open a door for the, to share the mystery of Christ on account of which I am suffering, Right? So Paul's saying, I'm suffering, but pray for me. 2 Thessalonians 3, you know, verses 1 and 2, Paul writes and he says, Brothers, pray for us that the word of the Lord may speed ahead and that we would be delivered from these wicked and evil men. Right? So there's descriptive and prescriptive calls in um, Scripture for us to, to pray for the persecuted. Let's not just pray for the persecuted. Let's also pray for the persecutors. Those who are doing the persecuting need our prayers. Jesus taught us, right? Didn't Jesus tell us that? Matthew 5, pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. So we should pray for the persecutors around the world. Wouldn't it be incredible if the Lord started to turn the hearts of these members of Boko Haram and ISIS and other terrorist organizations, turn them towards faith in Jesus Christ, just like he did with the Apostle Paul when he was persecuting the church? I believe that the Lord could do it. So we should pray for our enemies. Pray for those who persecute us. I encourage you to do that. Um, Just two practical suggestions that I've seen people do in the past that have helped them. For me personally, I used to just have a little sticky note on my computer screen that just stayed in front of me all the time and I just wrote the word persecuted on it. And it would just come in. It would be an in-my-face reminder day by day to remember to pray for the persecuted church around the world. I'm preaching today out of Hebrews 13, verse 3. I know other people who set a regularly scheduled alarm on their phone for 1.03 p.m., right? Military time, 13.03. Uh, that will go off and remind them, hey, this is our time to pray for the persecuted church around the world. So begin to pray. Next, advocate politically and socially. I want to encourage you to vote for People who advocate for religious freedom. Again, we write about that a little bit in our paper that you can download online on our resources page, how to think biblically about voting. You can access that on our website. But part of what we pray for is that the name of Christ would be able to be taken across the world and you know, we pray for those who will advocate for religious freedom to share the gospel around the world. Get involved socially, get involved politically. Write to your representatives, call your representatives, vote for those representatives who share this belief. Last, consider supporting a ministry. Consider supporting a ministry. Again, we're gonna ask everybody in our church at the end of this series, at the end of this month, to say, hey, where is the Lord calling you to be involved in mercy ministries? Some of you will be called to be involved in things like the preborn, like we talked about Last week, some of you may have an increasing burden today to say, you know what? In a special way, the Lord's calling me to get involved with ministry of mercy towards the persecuted. Others of you are going to be sensing the Lord's calling elsewhere. But maybe you want to get involved supporting an organization or a ministry that cares for the persecuted. One of those ministries that's doing so that our Missions and Mercy team would like to highlight is an organization called Global Christian Relief and I want to invite Sandy 
to come and make her way to the stage if Buddy and Julia can come with her. You guys know Sandy um, probably by now. She is um, the wife of Jim Corbin, one of our staff members. Sandy's also a member of our Missions and Mercy team. Um, Buddy and Julia are here today as kind of special guests with us. They are missionary partners um, to the country of Namibia, Africa. And so Buddy and Julia have been friends of mine. I, I told the first service, and I'll just tell you, I, know, I knew Buddy like 18 years ago when I was a youth pastor. He was one of the youth leaders in our church. He was working at like Gordon Food Service here, right? And uh, the Lord called him to go to the mission field. So he quit his job and sold everything he had and basically lived out of his car for a while and eventually made his way to the, to the mission field where he met his wife, Julia. And now they have all these awesome little kids that they're serving the Lord together in Namibia, Africa. So great partnership over the years with, with Buddy. But I want to ask Sandy a few questions about global Christian relief, and then we'll have Buddy pray uh, for the persecuted church around the world. So Sandy, just a, a few quick questions for you. Uh, again, probably most people in the congregation don't know anything about Global Christian Relief. Can you just tell us who they are? Global Christian Relief branched off of an organization that may be more familiar, and Jason mentioned, Open Doors USA. And that started in 2023 as a branch off. They had been doing similar work. Um, but what they, their goal is to increase a covert network of people who can go and minister and meet the needs on the ground of persecuted brothers and sisters. And then their other goal is to engage the U.S. church to be more active in supporting and partnering with our persecuted brothers and sisters around the globe so that they are able to continue to be a light in the darkness that they're living in. So that's just a little bit of an introduction to the Ministry of Global Christian Relief. You can read more about them online. But Sandy, as you, what are you personally aware of, um, of the ways that God is working through them uh, for his purposes around the world? Yeah, interestingly enough, Jason um, isn't aware of this because it, it was a God-ordained interaction between the services. A young woman came up and she's like, I can't believe that this is the organization you're talking about. I had not heard of it until recently, and she knows somebody in the Dayton area who is involved and actually goes and takes some of these covert trips to meet the needs of the persecuted brothers and sisters. So that was really cool to know that somebody in this area is actually working with this organization. But what they do is provide spiritual help. Obviously, Bibles are a big need because they cannot access them in most of these countries. So they have covertly taken in Bibles, um, audio Bibles, spiritual discipleship material for house churches. They provide emergent relief packs, which would be food. They provide shelter when needed. They do counseling for the traumatized families or people that have been persecuted. They also do microloans. A lot of these countries, the Christians are not allowed to work or get money from the government to help, and so they do that. They also do um, some... Um, my brain is going blank. Mm. Um, forget it. It's not important, or God <laughs> would have had me remember. So they do many things on the ground helping the brothers and sisters in Christ as they suffer. And so then if UBC people are 
feeling compelled to maybe be involved more or learn more, what action steps would you encourage us to take? Um, First thing, an easy thing, is stop by the ministry table after the service. We do have a handout that you can take with you that has specific prayer needs for the persecuted church as identified by Global Christian Relief. You also can download, if you have a smartphone, they have an app that you can download on your phone that will also give you prayer alerts and needs from the organization in an easy way um, to track that way. You can also go online and sign up for an email alert from the organization with a focus on letting you know if there's any new Uh, crisis in any area, and there's also on the website great access to educate yourself from people's stories who are actually living and dealing with this on a day-to-day basis. Awesome. Thank you, Sandy. And I just want to encourage you guys, um, if you have questions and maybe want some further info or discussion about GCR, just to stop by the the ministry desk on your way out today, um, right by the open door, by the uh, main doors there. Sandy will be there. Other people from our Missions and Mercy team will be there to help answer your questions and serve you if you'd like to have more information. Um, Buddy is going to, to pray for us. Like I mentioned before, he, is, he and his family live in Namibia, Africa, which is actually in the southern portion of Africa, so much more safe and secure than the, than the northern portions of Africa. Nevertheless, they are a lot closer to the reality of the extensive suffering of African believers than we are. And so uh, it's a blessing to have him and Julia with us today um, as missionaries from that part of the world. So I just wanted to ask him to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ as we get ready to close out our service. Let's pray together. Father, we are thankful for your church. We are thankful that... uh, Although we are scattered across this world, uh, we are united in Christ. And Lord, we remember our brothers and sisters that are in various places around this world, including northern Africa, that are facing uh, difficulty and um, persecution in various ways. We pray that you give them courage and boldness, that as they serve, they would serve Um, well, and as they face those challenges, Lord, you would protect them. I pray, Lord, that you would also um, be with those who are uh, persecuting. I pray that the gospel would be heard, and that even those who uh, are there, like the, the jailers of Paul and Peter, they would see the truth um, through the lives of these missionaries, the lives of the the church around this world, Mm -hmm. and that they would accept the gospel. Lord, we we know that you are sovereign, and you are good, and you are wise, and we thank you for all um, that goes on and all of the missions that is taking place. I pray uh, that you continue to unite us, help us as the church, to care uh, for those who are facing this persecution, that, Lord, we would be truly one body. Mm -hmm. We would rejoice when they rejoice. We would mourn when they mourn, and that we would care together uh, in unity. Thank you, Father, for this time this morning, um, and I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.